Al of the Ass tribe has, this horse, like the Kiang, travels in small troops of from 5 to 15, led through the wildest parts of the Dzungarian desert, between the Altai and Tianshan mountains, by an old stallion, they are extremely shy, and see, hear, and smell very quickly, so that they are off like lightning whenever anything approaches them, so having traveled over America, Europe, and Asia, was my quest ended, no, for from the dreary Asiatic deserts my thoughts wandered to a far warmer and more fertile land, where between the Blue Nile and the Red Sea rise the lofty highlands of Abyssinia, among which the African wild ass Asimus Tiniopus, the probable ancestor of our donkeys, feeds in troops on the rich grasses of the slopes, and then onwards to the bank of a river in Central Africa where on the edge of a forest, with rich pastures beyond, elephants and rhinoceroses, antelopes and buffaloes, lions and hyenas, creep down in the cool of the evening to slake their thirst in the flowing stream. There I saw the herds of zebras in all their striped beauty coming down from the mountain regions to the north, and mingling with the darker colored but graceful quaggas from the southern plains, and I half grieved at the thought how these untamed and free rovers are being slowly but surely surrounded by man closing in upon them on every side. I might now have traveled still farther in search of the onager, or wild ass of the Asiatic and Indian deserts, but at this point a more interesting and far wider question presented itself, as I flung myself down on the moor to ponder over the early history of all these tribes, where had they all come from, where shall we look for the first ancestors of these wild and graceful animals, for the answer to this question I had to travel back to America, to those western United States where Professor Marsh has made such grand discoveries in horse history, for there, in the very country where horses were supposed never to have been before the Spaniards brought them a few centuries ago, we have now found the true birthplace of the equine race, come back with me to a time so remote that we cannot measure it even by hundreds of thousands of years, and let us visit the territories of Utah and Wyoming, those highlands were very different then from what they are now, just risen out of the seas of the Cretaceous period, they were then clothed with dense forests of palms, tree ferns, and screw pines, magnolias and laurels, interspersed with wide-spreading lakes, on the margins of which strange and curious animals fed and flourished. There were large beasts with teeth like the tapir and the bear, and feet like the elephant, and others far more dangerous, half bear, half hyena, prowling around to attack the clumsy paleotherium or the unoclotherine, something between a rhinoceros and a horse, which grazed by the waterside, while graceful antelopes fed on the rich grass and among these were some little animals no bigger than foxes, with four toes and a splint for the fifth, on their front feet, and three toes on the hind ones, these clumsy little animals, whose bones had been found in the rocks of Utah and Wyoming, have been called eohippus, or horses of the dawn, by naturalists, they were animals with real toes, yet their bones and teeth show that they belonged to the horse tribe, and already the fifth toe common to most other toed animals was beginning to disappear, this was in the Eocene period, and before it passed away with its screw pines and tree ferns, another rather larger animal, called the Orohippus, had taken the place of the small one, and he had only four toes on his front feet, the splint had disappeared, and as time went on still other animals followed, always with fewer toes, while they gained slender fleet legs, together with an increase in size and in gracefulness, first one as large as a sheep Mesohippus had only three toes and a splint, then the splint again disappeared, and one large and two dwindling toes only remained, till finally these two became mere splints, 
leaving one large toe or hoof with almost imperceptible splints, which may be seen on the fetlock of a horse's skeleton. You must notice that a horse's foot really begins at the point which we call his knee in the front legs, and at his hock in his hind legs, his true knee and elbow are close up to the body. What we call his foot or hoof is really the end of the strong, broad, middle toe covered with a hoof, and farther up his foot we can feel two small splints, which are remains of two other toes. Illustration, skeleton of horse or ass, eye incisor teeth, G grinding teeth, with the gap between the two as in all grass feeders, K knee, H hock or heel, F foot, S splints or remains of the two lost toes, E elbow, W wrist, H hand bone, T middle toe of three joints, 1, 2, 3 forming the hoof. Meanwhile during these long succeeding ages while the foot was lengthening out into a slender limb the animals became larger more powerful, and more swift, the neck and head became longer and more graceful, the brain case larger in front and the teeth decreased in number, so that there is now a large gap between the biting teeth and the grinding teeth of a horse, their slender limbs too became more flexible and fit for running and galloping, till we find the whole skeleton the same in shape, though not in size, as in our own horses and asses now, they did not, however, during all this time remain confined to America, for, from the time when they arrived at an animal called Myotipus, or lesser horse, which came after the Mesohippus and had only three toes on each foot, we find their remains in Europe, where they lived in company with the giraffes, opossums, and monkeys which roamed over these parts in those ancient times. Then a little later we find them in Africa and India, so that the horse tribe, represented by creatures about as large as donkeys, had spread far and wide over the world, and now, curiously enough, they began to forsake, or to die out in the land of their birth. Why they did so we do not know, but while in the old world as asses, quaggas, and zebras, and probably horses, they flourished in Asia, Europe, and Africa, they certainly died out in America, so that ages afterwards, when that land was discovered, no animal of the horse tribe was found in it, and the true horse, where did he arise? Born and bred probably in Central Asia from some animal like the Kulan, or the Kurtag, he proved to full two savage tribes to be allowed his freedom, and it is doubtful whether in any part of the world he escaped subjection. In our own country he probably roamed as a wild animal till the savages, who fed upon him, learned in time to put him to a work, and when the Romans came they found the Britons with fine and well-trained horses, yet though tamed and made to know his master, he has, as we have seen, broken loose again in almost all parts of the world in America on the prairies and pampas, in Europe and Asia on the steppes, and in Australia in the bush, and even in Great Britain, where so few patches of uncultivated land still remain, the young colts of Dartmoor, Exmoor, and Shetland, though born of domesticated mothers, seems to assert their descent from wild and free ancestors as they throw out their heels and toss up their heads with a shrill neigh, and fly against the wind with streaming manes and outstretched tails as the Kulan, the Tarpan, and the Zebra do in the wild desert or grassy plain.